Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, of course, we had UFC 272 over the weekend. Colby Covington gets the unanimous decision victory over Jorge Masvidal to cap the grudge match that simply would not die. Mercifully, at this point, I feel like it comes to an end, at least for the time being. Rafael Dos Anjos scored a big win over the late replacement Hanato Moicano. Of course, Bryce Mitchell beats Edson Barboza and some other stuff that we will talk about this week at length. First and foremost, though, Ben, I know you're excited about the return of the 165 this week. I mean, you can't tell me that this is not a movement of the people. You Are you excited about flying with the Eagle? Come Friday night, Eagle FC returns with what I believe is a 165-pound fight between Kevin Lee and Diego Sanchez. Is that right? Going down March 11th this Friday? I wish you wouldn't remind me about that fight because I get a little bit sad when I think about it. You know what I mean? Because Diego Sanchez, he had the COVIDs just pretty recently. Yeah, and, he did. And it was pretty bad from what he said. And even if he hadn't gone through all that, we had also gotten to a point with Diego Sanchez where we were beginning to worry about all the accumulative damage that this man has taken over the course of his career. And now he's going to get in there with Kevin Lee in what would feel like maybe a little bit of a mismatch. Maybe he's just been waiting this entire time for the 165. Is what you are suggesting that with the establishment of a 165-pound division that Eagle FC is using, that Diego Sanchez is going to find a new life that that's was all he was missing was the right weight class all along. I mean, all I'm saying is, have you ever wondered like, you know, maybe you're a world-class piano player. It's just that you never tried to play the piano. Did you ever wonder that about yourself? Maybe you'd be the best trumpet player in the world. If only when you were fifth in fifth grade, you had picked up the trumpet and it turned out, Oh my God, Ben folks is a trumpet prodigy. Maybe the same thing is true about Diego Sanchez at 165 pounds. And it's only now in this late hour that he's going to figure it out? We will, once he becomes the undisputed king of the 165-pound division worldwide, lament that this had not come along sooner in his career, that we only got this these magic last few years with King Diego on the throne at 165 pounds. Well, I'll tell you what, if this is the future you genuinely foresee, you might have some good news on the betting front because I'm currently <laughs> looking at some odds. You can get five to one underdog odds on Diego Sanchez. Wow. So, you know, what just uh 
plunk your treasure down behind the king, the future and all-time king of 165. And let's uh, let's see you put your money where your mouth is. Anytime you can get underdog money on the undisputed kingpin of the 165-pound division, you take it, my guy. Uh, we got some other noteworthy names on this card. Ray Borg returns. Anthony Hamilton also on this thing. The monster, Ben Folks. The monster, Henan Barrow on this card, as well as recent UFC castaway Impa Kasangane. So, uh, you know, you got some guys. You got some capital G guys over there at Eagle FC. I'm going to tune in, find out how many more people they put in the broadcast booth this time around. <laughs> maybe we maybe we run in a 10-man booth out there for Eagle FC. Yeah. You know what? I want it to just be like the McLaughlin group uh-huh. where it's just like a bunch of people sitting around in chairs shouting over each other. Yeah. It's like we got uh, Todd Grisham is on the call. We were here with uh, Henry Cejudo, Chael Sonnen, Randy Couture, Big John mm-hmm. McCarthy. Chris Ian Matthews Thomas. from Hardball is going to call in. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty or like us on Facebook over at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show, the one you're listening to right now, drops every Monday for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there party rocking all week, three additional podcasts, the Wednesday live chat, the Thursday doing the damn thing podcast and the Friday power hour. People seem to like it. We have a patronage tier for every budget. Go ahead. Come check us out. Patreon.com slash co-main event. We got music this week from our guy, Simeo, AKA co-main event podcast listener, Alfred Larson. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash Simeo. That's S E E M I O. Simeo. Three rounds as usual this week in the Coleman event podcast. In round number one, Colby Covington did a lot of Colby Covington stuff. And Jorge Masvidal, well, he did a lot less of Jorge Masvidal stuff. And frankly, that's kind of how we all figured it was going to go. So, yeah. And in round number two, respect the hustle, but shouldn't someone have saved Hanato Moicano from himself at some point in there? And in round number three, so Colby wants to fight Dusty, but Dusty seems to want to fight Nathan, and Nathan sort of wants to fight Dusty too. And Dana seems to want Nathan to fight Connor again at some point, but Nathan is kind of saying nah to that, and Connor is talking about fighting for the title. And then you got George, who just signed a new long-term deal and needs to fight somebody. Man, these guys pretty much have their own division going. But one question is, should Colby be part of that group? And should RDA? We'll discuss all that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our friends over at NordVPN. NordVPN is, among other things, the fastest VPN in the world. Ben, we have both had a lot of time out here uh, now to surf the World Wide Web with the help of NordVPN. Over on the uh, the live chat last week, we had Comaniacs, patrons of the podcast, stopping by to log their comments about how much they're enjoying their NordVPN subscriptions. It sounded like we were paying them to do it, but they weren't. They were just showing up of their own accord and say, hey, man, I'm enjoying what NordVPN has going right now, and I know you and I have as well. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I've already talked about how I enjoy the auto connect feature gets on there whenever I join a new Wi-Fi network. Also, uh, appreciate threat protection light and the dark web monitor to let me know if my information has been out there on that nefarious dark web with you and the dark web monitor has to be going off all the time just constantly time. just like folks your information is once again on the dark web stop putting your shit on the dark web ben folks and i'm i'm over here doing a marlo my name was in the streets Thank you, NordVPN, for letting me know. But, I mean, there's only one VPN that CNET.com called an encryption powerhouse with the biggest VPN bang for your buck. I don't need to tell you who that was. Psst, it was NordVPN. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to NordVPN.com slash Comain or use the code Comain, that's all one word, C-O-M-A-I-N, Comain, to grab a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. First listener mail question this week comes to us from Jerry Adams, who writes, does Sergey Spivak and his quick demolition of Greg Hardy, along with his generally strange demeanor and awkward lost in translation, half English, half Russian post-fight interview, earn him trending Weirdsmobile status. Could this win potentially set up a Weirdsmobile showdown with Ben Rothwell next? Also, is the UFC finally going to stop trying to make Greg Hardy a thing? And now, uh, Ben, Sergey Spivak takes care of business, the heavyweight curtain jerker on the pay-per-view at UFC 272, Two minutes, 16 seconds, that's all it takes for him to score the TKO win here over Greg Hardy. And frankly, maybe most impressively, kind of like a hip toss slash trip takedown on Greg Hardy. And then just kind of slung him up in the air a couple times. 290 pound Greg Hardy does Sergey Spivak. Let's let's talk about the Greg, Greg Hardy equation here first. Is this the last we will see of Greg Hardy in the octagon? I saw that it had been said that this was the last fight on his contract. I think Dana White has, has hinted that maybe Greg Hardy will not return. This is three losses in a row for him dating back to December of 2020. And a guy we have talked about at length who came in with a lot of baggage seemed, in my opinion, like a cynical deal for the UFC to even try to promote this guy, given that Greg Hardy wasn't really famous for any positive reasons. And now I think we can conclusively say with a seven, five and one record, this guy never really lived up to any kind of hype that may have been garnered by his athleticism and his size and his previous NFL experience. My opinion, time to pull the plug on Greg Hardy, man. It's been time. Where are you at on this? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that we've been saying for a while is how it was already questionable enough for the UFC to get so hard behind promoting Greg Hardy, but then to do it continuously when clearly he's not very good. He's just not very good. And you keep giving him these spots that you wouldn't be giving him otherwise uh, because of the Greg Hardy name and because you could talk about, okay, he used to be an all-pro football player. But then he comes in here and Sergey Spivak just wears him around like a button. Just absolutely smashes the guy. And I I can't tell if the UFC was just thinking he needs more time. He's going to develop into something. uh, Or if we just need to keep finding him easier and easier matchups that we think he can win. I don't know what the deal was. But at this point, they've got to be looking at me like, okay, this we got some whatever mileage we were going to get out of this. We already got it. Yeah, there's no point in continuing to have Greg Hardy get knocked out. And I wonder if you're Scott Coker or some other 
you know, a, a slightly smaller organization out there in the MMA landscape? Do you think about bringing Greg Hardy in? I wonder if a guy like Greg Hardy, who has already had, you know, a, a one professional athletic career that that uh, he was politely asked to leave behind. Now he will get cut by the UFC if that happens. I wonder if Greg Hardy sticks it out. If Greg Hardy really has the drive and determination to try to, to build himself back into something else in this sport, or if this is a, if this is Greg Hardy's excuse to, to take the side door and see himself out. Well, I saw uh, via one of the MMA websites that he was at least gesturing in that possible direction in an Instagram post afterwards that he was saying, you know, his, his team prepared him well for the fight. Everybody did their jobs. He just didn't do his job. And uh, he, needed to to reevaluate a little bit. And that at least sounds like a guy who's thinking about, do I want to continue doing this? However, man, I'm not going to be surprised if Greg Hardy shows up in a, a Jake Paul promoted slap fighting competition. Not going to be surprised if he shows up in KSW fighting the world's strongest man. Not going to be surprised if he shows up in bare knuckle FC. So you know how things tend to go in this crazy combat sports world. I would say Greg Hardy fights somewhere. Yeah. Some kind of time. Somebody's going to be lining up to give him an opportunity. All right. Sergey Spivak is 27 years old. The Moldovan polar bear, six foot three, 240 pounds out there looking a little bit to my eye, like a light heavyweight, but nonetheless, a young fella in this heavyweight division now has won four of his last five with a TKO loss to Tom Aspinall in his uh, previous fight before the Greg Hardy meeting. That was in September of 2021 he's been pretty good in the ufc but he has lost most of his high profile opportunities he's lost to walt harris he lost to marcin tybura he lost to tom aspinall he has a victory over Ty to ivasa but back in 2019 not necessarily the current uh shooey chugging version of Ty to ivasa we've seen as of late uh but he's one of these guys who's just so young and he seems to have talent it's hard to know in this shallow division how far a guy like Sergey Spivak could go. You know what I like is I like the polar bear tattoo on his chest, but I like how the polar bear seems to be standing in a cage, like in a, like not like a, an animal cage, like a chain link fence fighting cage gives you an extra little element of it. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh, okay. So the polar bear is you. And it also looks like it's kind of like inside his skin. So there's like both, a, a fighting cage and a polar bear inside that fighting cage inside of Sergei Spivak. Yeah. I dig it, man. It gives you a lot to think about. Thanks, by the way, to uh, Irish Republican politician and former president of Sinn Féin, Jerry Adams, stopping by okay. to send us that that bit of mail. Next piece of mail this week comes to us from Scott Galori, who writes, Did you guys see Tim Elliott out there scrambling all over God's creation, grabbing any glove he could find to help better <laughs> him to better help him better punch Tagir Ulenbekov right in his face and just eyeballing whether or not his opponent was downed before firing some nasty knees? Why didn't anyone present him with his Dundasso purple belt in the cage after this win? Uh well first of all, that's not how the the ranking system goes in Dundasso. No, let's yeah. let's be very clear. I, I would say this was a performance worthy of like a piano key belt. Yeah, Bra- you know? braided belt say? maybe, maybe just a, a piece of uh, of an extension cord that you tie around your waist and use as a belt. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you get. A lot of people, 
lot of people hitting me up on Twitter over the weekend about the early prelim where Tim Elliott notches this decision win over to Ulenbekov just to point I, out, hey, it's like it's like there's an alarm. It's like I have an alarm that goes off anytime any yeah. Dundasso is happening anywhere in the world. And frankly, I appreciate it. Thanks to the people for letting me know that Tim Elliott is out here letting us know uh, he's trying as hard as he possibly can. It's got to be such a weird place for you to occupy that you know somebody is cheating in a fight somewhere on this earth when you start getting those social media alerts and emails and and whatnot from people. Yeah, just want to know what you think about it. It's like you 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 don't even have to to pay attention anymore. You can just let the internet tell you when somebody is cheating. They will seek you out. They always You're the first do. person they think of, and, and that's that's I think that's nice, and, honestly. But also, um, I saw. Something from uh, like in the post fight where he's backstage doing the media scrum where somebody was asking Tim Elliott about like, hey, was it? And I think they were kind of trying to give him an out, maybe like, was the glove grab on on accident? And he was like, no, no, I was in there trying to do anything I can to win that fight, man. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that honesty. Like, yeah, I'm grabbing some gloves. I'm gonna grab the glove until you tell me to stop. Like, that's I understand how the rules actually work in practice. And you know what? you'd be a damn fool not to at this point. Next question this week comes to us from New Orleans Saints wide receiver, Lil Jordan Humphrey. Okay. He writes, we all agree that we're back on the Kevin Holland train, or was that just good matchmaking? Because if we ain't, that was some mirror image time traveler butterfly effect shit right there. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what that last bit means, but... (laughs) Kevin Holland had a nice stoppage win over Alex Oliveira, second round TKO, right at the beginning of the second round, too. Uh, this, you know what? This is one of those fights where Alex Oliveira and Kevin Holland, maybe just as we expected them to, squeezed a whole lot of living into five minutes and 38 seconds worth of fighting. Uh, this thing was a little back and forth. Maybe you expected Alex Oliveira to be a little bit more wild than than he was and i will say this for kevin holland's return to 170 pounds that man looks like a damn giant out there in the cage with alex Oliveira, and the punch that he ended up using to start the sequence that ended up being the tko finish was just a sort of like short kind of check counter right hook that landed right on alex Oliveira's jaw and put him down and frankly if kevin holland can make a go of it at welterweight i'm all for it because that is kind of a division at this point that needs some some new faces some new contenders and if kevin holland can be that guy can can start swimming upstream toward the uh, top of the contender list over there i i I welcome him man I'm, i'm glad to see kevin holland picking up wins in this weight class me too and the division could really benefit from him i still think we are gonna have to wait and see if some of those wrestling questions get answered with him because especially you get higher up in this division you're gonna face some guys who know their way around a takedown yes and uh you know the other cowboy obviously has some ground skills and everything but uh, and thanks to kevin holland for giving us a new mma meme form by uh flashing the double thumbs up when uh alex Oliveira had his back there at the end of the first round but I think that that's going to be the thing that if you are going into a fight against Kevin Holland, who, as you said, looks like he could really use his put his size to work in this division, you're going to tell yourself, let's test that guy's ground game. Let's test his takedown defense until he proves that he's got that part of the game shored up because yeah. that's what people saw at middleweight. That's how people were, were beating him. 
make him prove that he has got that part figured out. Uh, but if he does get that part figured out, and honestly, a lot of it could get, could get easier, much like we talked about with Israel Adesanya, where he can be taken down, but you need to probably be bigger than him to keep him down. That might also prove to be a, a similar thing for Kevin Holland, where people can take him down every once in a while. But if he's just too big and keeps getting up and you can't hold him down without wearing yourself out in the process, then he could be a problem for a whole bunch of people at 170. Next question this week comes to us from x Rap who writes, complete with farmer's tan and camo shorts, Bryce Mitchell reminded us Saturday night that this sport is filled with characters we can get behind in many ways. Notwithstanding some of his polarized political views, he is skilled, fun to watch, a fan favorite, and seems to be on the cusp of entering the top 10. Do either one of you think he can hang with the top 10 at 145? And seriously, how can you not get with someone who just walked out to arguably the best bluegrass tune of all time? Uh, I would... What do you what do you make of of positioning Bryce Mitchell as a fan favorite? I would describe him as a polarizing figure in mixed martial arts up to this point and a guy who, you know, hasn't really at, up to, up until now uh, gotten a crossover win or or like you know really been put in a position where he could be a in front of people who aren't hardcore fans of the sport. Hasn't really gotten the exposure, but I would say among hardcore fans of the sport, Bryce Mitchell, uh, probably kind of polarizing at this point. Yeah, but I imagine you are somewhere between hardcore fan of the sport who was reading the websites and watching the MMA Fortnite and bitch-ass casual who only tunes in when Conor McGregor's fighting. And say you watch all the events, but you don't do a whole lot of reading about this during the week. You could very easily, your only knowledge about Bryce Mitchell is he got those camo shorts, he got a great ground game, and he wanted to give half his money to Children's Hospital. I mean, you could very easily come out of this event knowing only those things about Bryce Mitchell and being like, all right, this this dude seems okay. I'm interested to know. Somebody let me know when he's fighting next. And you may never find out that he thinks that school shootings are staged to take AR-15s away. So maybe we overestimate how much MMA media everybody is consuming out there because I, I could definitely see a whole bunch of people uh, only seeing the, the big public stuff like that, which is pretty good from him yeah. so far. And and honestly, uh, if they find out that the guy has a goddamn mixtape out and you think that that's going to be ridiculous and you go, okay, you know what? Honestly, that's not he's not a terrible rapper either. Yeah. Yeah, no, but by MMA fighter standpoints, Bryce Mitchell is actually a pretty good rapper. I don't know if he's yeah. a great rapper by rapper standpoints, but uh, certainly by professional fighter standpoint, he's pretty good. Uh, what you're, what I hear you saying to me right now is the old adage: the less you know about your favorite fighter, the better. Hundred percent, Chad. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know what? For- this is a meaningful win for Bryce Mitchell, this yeah. win over Edson Barboza, uh, unanimous decision win. Because previous to this, uh, he had defeated Andre Feely and Charles Rosa, his last two fights. Uh, he's just a handful of fights really into his UFC career. Edson Barbosa, obviously a longtime OG of both this division and the lightweight division, a guy who can still take your head off. Uh, but once again, Bryce Mitchell and Colby Covington, as we will talk about coming up here in round number one, both do a pretty good job proving uh, my personal belief that the most important accomplishment in an MMA fight is to dictate where the fight is contested. Uh, t- both of them taking their primarily strike friendly opponents off their feet and working their wrestling game. And you can see how effective it can be here in this, especially in this, uh, 
Mitchell Barbosa fight. And uh, you got to say, Bryce Mitchell now probably teared up, teed up for some contender contender fight action here. And just looking at the at the lay of the land in the 145 pound division, you know, frankly, there's a lot of pure strikers right in front of him. And, uh, you know, he, he could uh, he could get to use those skills, those wrestling skills to his advantage in the next couple of fights here leading up to a, a potential run at, at top contender status. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like he only has it. He put That's Edson true. Barboza down yeah, with a, nice with a straight, straight left hand. And but then also went right after the takedown afterwards. Like that shows you a guy who has some other skills that are in progress and in development, but also is not following into the classic grappler who learns to strike trap of suddenly thinking you're a boxer. And because uh, he, he he hurt him with that left hand, and then he immediately went to the takedown and mixed it up for takedowns. Went back and forth between single legs and double legs until he finally got him down, and also. He's not just one of the grapplers who gets people down and holds them there. He uh, His grounded pound looks better and better, and we know that he is like always hunting for submissions. And all that stuff kind of together, I think, makes him uh, a problem for a lot of people. And honestly, like I think when you see somebody who uh, is still that early on into their career and is already like showing that sort of like rapid development. Who's to say two years from now, he might be even better than he is now. Like I I think that he has a whole lot of stuff to build on that he should be very excited about. Yeah, I agree. And again, another guy who at 27 years old has ample time to mature and get better as he continues to go along. Uh, We will do this one from Sean Rogers who writes, Conventional wisdom in MMA tells us that the more popular fighters are those who put on exciting fights. And by exciting fights, we mean stand-up wars. However, if we think about the most popular fighters in UFC history, does this wisdom hold up? The biggest crossover stars, as I reckon, are as follows. Brock Lesnar, Conor McGregor, George St. Pierre, Ronda Rousey, John Jones, and Habib. Except for one Irishman, that list is made up of some of the best grapplers MMA has ever seen. So what gives? Discourse, poor, poor favor. Now, yeah, you know what? I'd also throw on that list Chael Sonnen and Randy Couture. Yeah. A couple other guys who are pretty damn popular, uh, but were grappling-based fighters. Yeah. and So let's stop for a minute and just let's go back to the beginning here where he says, conventional wisdom in MMA tells us that the more popular fighters are those who put on exciting fights. And I agree with him. That is the conventional wisdom in MMA. I would only offer as a counterpoint, who told us that? Who tried to convince us that in MMA, the more popular fighters are those who put on exciting fights? And I would charge that it was the people who own the company. I would charge that the the people who own the UFC are largely responsible for this idea of, hey, kid, you want to be a big star? Go out there and put on exciting fights. And in certain cases, we've seen it work out. There are certain people who have gained a certain amount of notoriety in this sport simply by being exciting fighters. However, I think most of this list and almost any other list we could draw up of people who have attained really big crossover mainstream celebrity status, it shows us that number one, you either had it before you got here or number two, there's something about you that causes you to, you know, something extracurricular about you that causes you to attain that status i would i would put forth that fighting style is the least important of all of it because 
I, you know, this list and others, I think bears that out. It's, it's things like George St. Pierre's support among Canadians, Connor McGregor's ability to talk and, uh, his support among Irish, the Irish people early on that made those guys crossover stars. Ronda Rousey became a crossover star because the UFC put every ounce of its promotional juggernaut behind her and was like, here, here, this is a person who is a star. Oh, and by the way, she also had those preternatural judo skills to back it up. But I would say just putting on exciting fights, especially in today's mixed martial arts landscape, not enough to make you a crossover mainstream star. Well, the part that I disagree with is where we go from by exciting fights, we mean stand-up wars, because that is one way to do it. But that's definitely not the only way. And I understand that that's sort of like an old way of thinking in MMA that, hey, not everybody even understands the ground game. Uh, remember when crowds used to boo at every single takedown they would see and that everybody can more easily understand a knockout artist than they can somebody who was really skilled as a grappler. But, I mean, when you look at some of those people, like Brock Lesnar's going out there and, you know, he he's... Uh, a wrestling-based fighter, but he's also finishing people, just throwing big-ass ham hocks at people once he does get them on the ground. Ronda Rousey's finishing people in, like, 60 seconds over and over again. Like, how many Ronda Rousey fights, uh, whether she won or lost, can you look at it and be like, that was a boring fight? That just doesn't happen. And so I I think that just because we tend to think, okay, stand-up brawls are the kind of lowest common denominator that everybody can understand and appreciate. It doesn't mean that you can't be an exciting fighter and have a grappling based style. Cause plenty of people have that. Just don't think Dana White's going to give you that UFC contract. If you're a, if you're on the contender series, was it Brendan, well, Brendan Lochnane? Is that who it was yeah. shot for a takedown to put his victory on ice in the last 15 seconds. And now there's a gif. There's a gif online of Dana White throwing his hands up in the air and Sean Shelby shrugging, you know, just don't try to impress those guys with your bullshit grappling, Ben, folks. I will say, if you're going to be kind of good but not great, if you're going to win some, lose some, uh, but still want to have want to be a known person, somebody people get excited for and can make decent money, then it helps to be a stand-up fighter. Because if you are... If you like to brawl and you, you're not particularly concerned about your own facial integrity and you go out there and you make sure somebody's blood's going to be on the mat, whether it's yours or the other guy's, then you get more mileage out of being a stand-up, a primarily stand-up fighter. If you are one of the grapplers where, you know, you can win when you take people down and hold them there, but if they, if they can stop that, then they're going to beat you, you don't get nearly as much rope. Yeah. You know, we've seen plenty of people who even when they repeatedly fail to develop the takedown defense, hey, we like guys who war. You know, we like guys who just go out there and lay it all on the line, and they get that kind of credit. They get a little extra uh, leeway than you do if you are the person who always wants to take it to the ground. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, co-main-event.com. Dot com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That will get you in touch with us. Right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, Ben, Colby Covington is a lot. You know, the pressure, the cardio, the volume striking, and then, of course, the takedowns and top control. It's just a lot to deal with, man. And for a 37-year-old guy like Jorge Masvidal, who's probably past his peak, if we're being honest, it was too much. And in this grudge match that felt like it had, frankly, already overstayed its welcome, Colby Covington claims the lopsided unanimous decision win here, uh, 49-46, 50-44, 50-45. So some pretty clear-cut scores there. Uh, for Colby Covington, and rightfully so, frankly. He goes out there and imposes his game plan, imposes his will on Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal's moments in this fight, frankly, were fleeting. He had the counter right hand in the fourth round that appeared to put Colby in trouble, but he couldn't really capitalize on it, uh, likely because he was already pretty physically spent, and I think because guys like Covington, frankly, make it hard for you to get your offense off, to implement your offense, because he always has that pressure, that takedown threat, and, it, it, you know, it's just enough to make guys hesitant enough that uh, that Masvidal couldn't slam the door on him maybe when he had him hurt there in the fourth. What was your take on this fight? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that afterwards, that that was your chance if you're Jorge Masvidal. You clipped him there. He's clearly hurt. He's on the retreat. And it's the classic, you know, the, the cornermen all at home on the couches are shouting, go now, yeah. take him out, like attack and, and finish this guy. It's, it's the probably at that point you could clearly say only chance you're going to get the, the best chance you're going to get. The, you know, just had been so few opportunities for Jorge Masford on that. And he didn't really go after it. And I was wondering, is it because he was just tired and worn out at that point? But I think as much or if not more of it was that. Colby Covington just doesn't miss many opportunities to get you to the ground. And there were even some in this fight where you could see Masvidal maybe shutting down an initial takedown or something, but you you just end up in that spin cycle with him at all. And it's, you know, it's like putting your hand in the, in the tar and the next thing you know, it's all over you. You know, you, you can't even let him get started because he's just going to pull you into it. And then pretty soon you're on your back and you're going, God damn it, how did I end up here again? And I think that that was what stopped him. And maybe in part because of how fatigued he was, uh, where he was just thinking, well, at least during these moments when he is recovering and worried about not getting knocked out, he's not taking me down and, and wearing me out again. But that was it. Like, that was that was the chance. And he, you're not going to get too many more against a guy like that. It also just seemed like... Jorge Masvidal could not find the the output just in general. That he, I don't know if it's just, he seemed to lack a little bit of that, that same explosive energy that he had. He just didn't seem like terribly enthusiastic once this fight got into the deeper rounds. And I'm sure some of that is just the guy wears on you and you feel like you're constantly on the defensive against him. But also it seemed like maybe a little bit of that is just age and mileage. Yeah, I agree. It's probably a mixture of things. Uh, Colby Covington obviously does the uh, 
the heel, the pro wrestling heel act pretty much at all times when he is in front of cameras or out in public. And in some, I don't want to call the guy underrated because he just fought for the title twice in the last couple of years. But, you know, it's easy to to see that kind of clownish behavior and let some of his physical skills slip your mind a little bit. We are talking about a guy who, aside from the submission loss to Warley Alves back in 2015 at UFC 194 in Colby Covenant's fourth UFC fight, he's beat everybody else that he's fought except for Kamara Usman, who obviously is the champion and who obviously has defeated Covington twice, albeit both times in relatively competitive fights. And so uh, these 25 minutes to me, again, just a reminder, it's not necessarily that, that it slipped my mind, but I do find myself always kind of returning to this when I do watch him fight like man Colby Covington is really really good and he does a lot of things really really well that are really disruptive to the to the opposition you know it's just hard it's just hard to keep up with his pace man he's just gonna go out there uh pretty much sprint to the center of the octagon in every round and be just as aggressive as fuck in there punching you in your face not letting you breathe And then when he gets half a second to think about it, take you down. And then when he's on top of you, it's really hard to get up. And he's, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of a dual threat on the mat, even though he hasn't scored a lot of submission wins, I believe his submission skills are just good enough kind of to keep you there really. Like you don't want to give him the opportunity to choke you. So he just kind of stays on top and gets really good position and, and batters you with punches. And it's, it's, it takes a very specific set of skills to be able to beat that guy. And Jorge Masvidal just didn't have those skills on Saturday night. What do you make of Colby Covington afterwards saying, though, that he took a pay cut for this one? That he did not get points on the pay-per-view for this because... Here you are, you guys, your whole grudge match thing is the thing we're using to sell this pay-per-view. Uh, it's the, You've been supposedly doing this whole gimmick to try to get people to feel some kind of way about you, to make yourself into a, a thing, a, a, a lightning rod one way or another. And then when you get this main event, you don't, you don't get in on the money? What's that about? I, that, that doesn't... I, I don't know if I see the uh, the genius at work behind that one. Could be just me. <laughs> well, yeah, and Colby clearly has a management team that is taking care of things for him, and it's hard to know really where to place the blame between him and whoever it is that is cutting these deals. But if that's true, like if he took a pay cut and he talked a lot, you know, leading up to this fight about how he wasn't going to get any pay-per-view points because this was a grudge match and he would do it for free. And like, that's all, that's bad. That's bad business right there. Like that is a bad business deal on the part of whoever is doing Colby Covington's deals for him. But it also some, someone in keeping with his character, right? He talks a lot uh, in front of the media about how great everything is and how great he is. And he's going to smash Jorge Masvidal. And then in the background, he's, he's like doing a bad job making business deals, kind of like the, the guy that he emulates a lot. Oh, oh yeah. Which guy would that be, Chad? You know, if I say the name, we're just going to get a bunch of bad comments on our uh, <laughs> on our uh, iTunes account. Like these guys and their political agenda, <laughs> libtard, damn cucks. political agenda. Uh, what about Jorge Masvidal out here in the post fight talking about how uh, he just didn't have the wrestling that night? His wrestling was just a little flat. 
Jorge Masvidal said, which uh, that strikes me as some he was the better man on this night type MMA excuse making to me. Yeah, I mean, but it's for one thing, I don't think that there are too many nights where Jorge Masvidal does have the wrestling where it's just if, if it ends up being that kind of a fight. Oh, there's zero nights, zero it, nights that he against, has the wrestling. Colby Covington. Uh, like the is he saying like I just my wrestling defense wasn't good enough to keep him off me and let me do the stuff that I'm gonna do? I don't know, man. Because at the same time, you know, in a grudge match kind of situation like this, you if the guy beats you by just sort of taking you down and keeping you there and doesn't really do a whole lot to you, that's gonna be the thing you lean on when you when you have to make yourself feel better. Is like okay, I guess he's good at that. It kind of sucks, I think. Remember when Heath Herring? Uh, he lost one of those fights and then came out there and insisted on getting on the mic and was like, while the crowd was booing and he was like, Hey, that's not what I wanted to do for you guys. That's not what I wanted. That's not the kind of fight I wanted to give you guys. So like basically not my fault. And it's like, yeah, but like you weren't good enough to stop the other guy from doing it so that you could do the thing you wanted to do. And that's kind of what it comes down to. All of this gives way to a very odd scene inside the cage. After this is over, Uh, we kind of knew that, Covington and Masvidal were not going to bury that the hatchet, that they were not going to squash the beef after this thing. But here you've got this scene inside the cage after this fight is over uh, where Colby is continuing to talk shit. Uh, Masvidal, with both of his arms braced on the shoulders of security guards, is also trying to talk shit. I will go ahead and just slip in, Ben, that my are you fucking kidding me this week is how are you going to keep talking shit? when it looks like the only thing that's keeping you from falling over is a couple of T-Mobile arena security guards, man. Like, how are you going to stand there like Jorge Masvidal, you know, basically with with, uh, a couple of your friends like slung under your arms holding you up and still be still trying to talk shit to Colby Covington, who just kind of ran roughshod over you for the last 25 minutes. It's not like you can be like, hey, man, let's fight. Because you just yeah. did that. and Yeah, and for a while. You had a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Long, long fight. So are you fucking kidding me? You're going to sit there and talk shit while uh, a couple of T-Mobile security guards are holding you up? Okay, I guess. <laughs> fucking kidding me? Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me this week. So after his win, you, did you hear Kevin Holland say, okay, I beat one cowboy. How about the other cowboy? Okay, yeah. You know, got a good reaction out of the crowd. And then... Uh, Donald Cerrone comes back, answers back to him, reading a story off a bloody elbow where he he fires back, says, Kevin, what's going on? It's Cowboy. Which <laughs> I mean, he's been gone for a while. We don't know where he's yeah. been. Like, that's, that's as like, good a salutation as any. Like, where you, you know, your dad's signing his name to his text messages or something, you know. Uh, I was taking a piss in the commode when you called me out, but I got Joe on May 7th. After that, I'll come back to 70 and we can dance, baby. Um... Yet, the twist here, uh, Kevin Holland has retracted his call out. (laughs) Yeah. No, I saw that. He He says, I was just throwing up stupid shit. 
You know me. I'd be just talking. But I think the other cowboy in me should not fight, to be honest with you. I think I should be fighting Daniel Rodriguez next. Just because last time I called out cowboy, Daniel Rodriguez hopped in my inbox and was like, yo, don't do that. That's my OG. So, respect to both those guys. Of course, I'd like to fight the OG, but sometimes you got to take out the student before you can take out the OG. If I take out the student, I don't even really feel like I need to take out the OG. It'd be nice to have the name on the board, but at the end of the day, I'm a big cowboy fan. So, it probably wouldn't even make me feel as good as I think it would. Are you fucking kidding me? Wow. That's Kevin Hall's just working through some stuff in public there. He's just talking his way through it. Uh, are there take backs in, in the call out game? Sure. Why not? There's no other rules. You might as well have, have some take backs. It does. No backsies, no penny taxis. I do. I mean, come on. <laughs> I do kind of like the, uh, like he's working his way up to the final boss cowboy. Like first he beats the other <laughs> cowboy. Then he beats the cowboy's student. And then maybe we'll talk about the actual cowboy at the end of the level. It probably wouldn't even make me feel as good as I think it would. <laughs> welcome to the... That's well, like a, t- welcome like a to guy the- trying to talk himself out of eating a bacon cheeseburger. Yeah, welcome to the human race, buddy. <laughs> probably won't make <laughs> you feel as good me? as you think it will. You fucking kidding me? All right, that is going to do it for round number one. We will be right back. Round number two. Well, Jed, there was a moment, I want to say after the first round came to a close, where Hinato Moicano got up after having been taken down and, and pretty thoroughly controlled by Rafael Dos Anjos in that first frame. And the look on his face was like he just remembered there are four more rounds of this shit. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe we should have tried to lobby a little bit harder to get it a three-round fight if we're coming in and taking this one on less than a week's notice. And sure enough, Rafael Dos Anjos, he'd been preparing for five rounds, so he was ready to go the whole time. You know that guy got cardio for days. And eventually just starts to really put it on Hinato Moicano, who at one point seems like he is just one or two punches away from being finished. But... He holds on. No one can question the man's toughness. All types of blood coming out of his head, God. Still, he's in there firing back. And it just felt like after the fourth round, when he went and sat down on the stool, you're you're waiting for his corner to be like, okay, you know what? We, we took a swing here. We took our chance, came in on short notice. It's not going to happen for you tonight, playa. Let's throw in that towel and let's go home and let's call it. But no, we send him back out there. He took a hell of a beating. Yeah. And it kind of reminds you, as much as everybody loves to talk about what a tough guy you are and what brass balls you got for taking the fight on such short notice, you could still fuck around and go in there and take a beating that changes the trajectory of your career and possibly your life. Yeah. Because this is serious business. And kind of seems like maybe we forget that part when we're just talking about like hey yeah why didn't you step up why didn't you take this one oh yeah this guy took it good for him yeah and you see him on there with blood streaming down his face that's some serious stuff man that you, you never know when you could get yourself in a situation where you're going to be feeling that one for a long long time yeah first of all how does the ufc scheme us into a situation where on this pay-per-view with zero title fights we end the thing with back-to-back five-round decisions. That just feels unnecessary to me. Uh, and you're right about, 
you know, what effect this could have on Moicano moving forward. Obviously, we won't know, and I don't want to speculate too much, but this is kind of like a worst-case scenario in terms of taking a short-notice fight, and I know that at least the broadcast team gave at least some lip service to the idea that Moicano's stock was going to go up because of his gutty performance here down the stretch against RDA. But at the same time, like, you, you, you know, we talked about this with Bobby Green against Islam Mahachev. Like, you don't want to get stopped super fast, like both Bobby Green and Dan Hooker did in Islam Mahachev's last two short-notice replacement fights. But you also don't want to go 25 minutes where, frankly, after the first 15 it kind of looks like you're out of it. And, you know, you don't want to take this hellacious, potentially career-altering career beating. I think those are like the two worst-case scenarios for for putting on a, a short-notice fight. And I guess, clearly, you can't say anything bad about Hanato Moicano's heart. Like, he was clearly game until the final bell in the fifth round of yeah. this thing. But after he took, I think it was a high kick down the stretch of the third round, this thing was kind of out of reach for him. And at some point, you do sort of wish that someone would step in and say, hey, man, like, you did good. We're going to, you know, you, you earned your respect, you earned your money, but like, let's live to fight another day. Let's come back and do this again at, at some other point. But, you know, one thing that I thought was super weird, and I think referee Mark Goddard is is really good. I think he's one of the better referees out there. Uh, but it was, a, it was very strange when the UFC's Mike caught or not caught, but it like showed Mark Goddard and the, and the ringside doctor talking before the final round. And the doctor said it would, it would be quote unquote reasonable to stop it. Yeah. And then Mark Goddard went over and told Hanato Moicano, he had 30 seconds to show him something or he would stop it. And I'm not sure I've any, ever seen anything exactly like that in a fight before. But then once it, once they went back to do the fifth round, I started to think, is telling a fighter he's got 30 seconds to show you something almost the worst thing you can do as an official? Because you know, once you say that to him, he's going to try to do it. Like after that warning, he's going to go out there and like, you know, put himself in harm's way more to like try to be aggressive and, and show you that he's got something. And true to form, Moicano comes out throwing heaters in this in this final round. And the other thing is like, after you give him that warning, like, hey, I'm gonna let you keep fighting, but if you don't do something in 30 seconds, I'm gonna stop it. You can say that between rounds, but once the actual fight starts, don't you need something else bad to happen before you stop the fight? Like if, Mo if Moicano's out there trying as hard as he can, and he's still on his feet, like throwing punches with RDA and it's not too ugly, but they're still hitting each other. Like you need something else to happen. You can't just step in and call the fight off right there. Like you need, you need Moicano to accept some more damage before you stop the fight. So that, I thought that was just an odd move. Well, it's also an, a strange way to phrase it to say like, you know, it, it would be reasonable to stop it. Like I could say like basically mean like I could see how one might stop it here. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it would be a, a understandable decision if you were to decide to stop this fight. Like, what do we, it seems like a, we're asking for your expertise and you're being like, eh, you know what, up to you. But I wouldn't be mad at you if you stopped it. Yeah. And when I was watching that fifth round and seeing, you know, the commentators are saying, hey, we think RDA is taking his foot off the gas a little bit. That basically out of mercy he is deciding to let you coast through the end of this fifth round and not try to put you away. And Hinato Moicano is firing and catching him. Yeah. Caught him with some clean shots in that fifth round. And 
my first reaction was kind of like, oh no, this is all it's going to take for some people to be like, see, all you people who wanted it stopped or didn't think that he should continue. This is proof that, you know, if he could still land those punches and put RDA in some trouble, even when RDA is maybe taking it a little bit easy on him, that he he should have been in there and that he deserved to keep going. And that, I, whenever you see a situation like so many times we end up in these fights where we go, oh man, this could have been stopped a while and the beating just continues. And maybe one out of 40 of them, somebody will come back and win. But that's all it takes for some, for people to be like, see, it can happen. Therefore, we got to give our guy the chance, meaning that he's got to take, you know, 20 to 30 more blows to the head when his ability to defend himself is clearly compromised, especially because he can't see out of one eye. And I don't know, it just seems like we for a while have been telling ourselves that it needs to be up to the corners. The corner is going to do this. And yet it just so rarely happens. Yeah. You know, like we'd like to believe that they are capable of it. I think it works a little better in boxing uh, just because they have more opportunities to evaluate more rounds, more time to sit there on the stool and talk to their guy. But it just, it's so rare to see that in MMA and, I don't know what the answer is. If the answer that that, that the doctor's got to be a little more forceful, that the referee needs to read between the lines uh, when the doctor's telling him that, I don't know. But it did seem like we're just watching this guy with blood streaming down, one eye compromised, continuing to take punishment. And if RDA had wanted to be a little bit meaner about it, it could have been even worse. Yeah, well, isn't there an aspect of it that is even unfair to Rafael Dos Anjos in that fifth round where, like, you know, I don't know what was in his heart, but we know how the fight looked and we know what the broadcast team was saying. And it did sort of seem like, you know, because of the the visible damage on Hanato Moicano's face and the beating he had already taken that that Dos Anjos was sort of like, OK, like, I'm not going to totally let you off the hook, but I'm not going to go out of my way to hurt you or do more damage to you. And so he's kind of taking his foot off the gas. And then all of a sudden down the stretch in this thing, Moicano starts landing hard shots. So it's kind of like, you know, sending Moicano out there for the fifth round was a bad deal for both guys because Dos Anjos was sort of like, all right, I'm going to take it easy now because I would might feel bad otherwise. And then all of a sudden he's getting punched super hard. Like obviously he held on to win this thing and it was a clear cut unanimous decision win for Dos Anjos. But at the same time, had, had it gone the other way, if Moicano had like had a come from behind victory as amazing and as that would have been, if you were RDA, you probably would be like, well, shit, man. Like, I was out here just trying to be nice. Well, also, when we say stuff like, uh, you know, Hinato Moicano's stock is still going to go up from this. Like, he proved, you know, how tough he was. And he definitely did prove how tough he was. But I think, like we talked about before, people's memories for that kind of victory, like uh, kind of like moral victory or tough guy points victory, are a lot shorter than we think. Yeah, That, uh, you know, months from now... People are, might still just look back and be like, well, the guy was on a two-fight winning streak, and then he lost. And they might not even remember the circumstances. They might not remember that he took it on short notice or that he was really tough down the end, even after he had been beat up a whole bunch by Rafael Dos Anjos. It just goes down as a loss. And if you go having to do contract renegotiations with the UFC, they're not necessarily going to focus on the, the part where you stepped in and you helped them out and you were really tough in that fight. They're going to look at the, the wins and the losses on that. So, like... I don't know if Hanato Moicano's toughness was really in question 
before this. And so, like, yeah, it's impressive to see a guy be able to push through all that, but it's also, like, at what cost? Yeah. You know, because you don't have an endless number of these kind of fights in you. Yeah. And I think for obvious and understandable reasons, like, the fighter obviously doesn't want to quit. His his corner doesn't want to quit for him. Uh, the doctor and the referee, the last thing they want to do is, is stop the fight in an arena full of screaming people. But it kind of feels like we need to normalize that. Like we need to normalize someone stepping in to stop these fights in instances where, uh, you know, the thing is, is kind of academic from that point. And so I don't know what has to happen to make that become a thing, but it uh, seems like the way we should go. In any case, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, in Colby Covington's own words, he just took care of the Miami street trash in Jorge Masvidal, and now he wants to take out the Louisiana swamp trash in Dustin Poirier. Had some other things to say about Dustin Poirier uh, and his wife and his children, none of which I will repeat here at the top of round number three. I will simply present you with the idea that we now have this weird class of fighter at this kind of light lightweight welterweight level where it feels like you've got this grouping of guys who are all popular in one way or another all marketable i guess i should say perhaps in the in the uh as it pertains to somebody like colby covington perhaps popular is not the right word to use but you know you've got covington you got poirier you got masvidal you got mcgregor you got nate diaz and you know you might even as i said at the top of the show want to throw Rafael dos anjos on that list, guys who are really good have a name for themselves in this sport, and yet it doesn't feel like there any of them are about to be the champion. And it and we kind of need to figure out what to do with all these guys. They're all kind of in special fun fight, uh, big money main event territory. And so I don't know. Do you like this idea of of Covington calling out Poirier to a guy in a different weight class, but another guy where he can basically pre-fight? run the Jorge Masvidal playbook and just kind of be like, oh, this is a grudge match. We used to be friends. I Now I hate him, et cetera, et cetera. Is, is that a fight you want to see or are we going to have to do something different with Colby Covington? I mean, the moment I heard that out of Colby Covington's mouth, I was like, man, you were basically asking for Dustin Poirier to do you a favor. Do you a solid. Yeah. Come over here. Uh, bring all his popularity with him into a fight against you a guy who is in a weight class above his. And I kind of hope that Dustin Poirier does not take that bait, especially because he doesn't need it. Colby Covington needs it. He doesn't need it. Um, but you're right that you look around. I mean, here's a good argument for the one six five, frankly, because you got a bunch of these guys between lightweight and welterweight between those two weight classes where if you had a place in between that they could meet, they could put on some fun fights for you. And yet it does seem like in in their divisions, their road to the title is blocked for now. Yeah. And so, you know, this fight is an interesting, the, the Colby coming to Jorge Masvidal as a main event was an interesting thing for the UFC. I think maybe to attempt to see how much, 
how much mileage can you get out of some of these fights where big personalities, known guys, there's a storyline behind the fight, there's a narrative to it, but there's no gold on the poster. Can you still headline a pay-per-view with those and do decent numbers if you just bring together guys who have done decent numbers in the past? And I don't I don't know exactly what the results on this one look like for them pay-per-view sales-wise, but maybe they'll figure that out. Maybe they, if they look at it and they're happy with what they got out of it, they start to go, okay, maybe we lean a little bit more on some of these kind of fights. I still don't think Dustin Poirier should take that particular one, but like a Dustin Poirier versus a Nate Diaz one, I mean, that's basically the same kind of a fight, right? Where it doesn't seem like anything major is at stake we're not really deciding anything about the divisions, but it's a couple known guys with some popularity who seem like when you get them in the, in the cage together, they'd put on a fun fight. Is that enough? Yeah. Maybe it is. Yeah, and I agree with you. Dustin Poirier, if you are staring down the barrel of a Nate Diaz fight, that's the one you absolutely want. It seems like Nate Diaz wants it too, wants to uh, get his UFC contract out of the way to move on to quote unquote retirement or whatever it might be that he is planning. and. If I'm Dustin, and meanwhile, it looks like the UFC wants him to sign a new contract in order to get that fight. Yeah, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. Just re-up for a quick seven or eight fights. Right. No big deal, right? Right. Yeah, if I'm uh, Dustin Poirier's career advisor, I think the thing that I would tell him, the proper response to a call out by Colby Covington would be, shut the fuck up, nerd. I think that is <laughs> the right way to do it. Uh, okay, here's a weird thing that I was thinking. And I don't think that this is actually possible, but considering where both of these guys are in their careers. Am I crazy to think that a Jorge Masvidal, Conor McGregor fight kind of makes sense at this point? We've got this whole thing where Islam Mahachev allegedly turned down the Rafael Dos Anjos fight, and now the UFC and Dana White are saying, well, now we're going to put Mahachev back into this matchup with Benil Dariush to try to establish a number one contender. Of course, Charles Oliveira is about to fight Justin Gaethje, and we will know who emerges with the belt from that after, what is that, UFC 273? That's the next one? Is that right? Or is it to 274? It's coming up in any case. Uh, but whichever one of them emerges with the title, the idea that we would make Mahachev have an additional fight to become the number one contender makes me nervous that what we've got on our mind is a Conor McGregor title shot, that we are going to come out and be like, well, this is the one Oliveira wanted, or this is the one... Uh, Justin Gaethje wanted, so they're going to fight Conor McGregor. But like, considering their win-loss records, where they are in their careers, and the idea, as you just said, that you could put these guys together in a five-round main event without a title on the poster and probably do a significantly good buy rate, like, I feel like Jorge Masvidal and Conor McGregor is kind of the way to go. Am I, am I crazy? Yeah, well, for one thing, the Oliveira Gaethje one is uh, 274 okay. in May. Down there at the Footprint Center, mm -hmm. Phoenix, Arizona, yeah. granddaddy of them all. Um, but the first thing I think when I see we're talking about like, okay, Islam Mahachev, because you turned down this fight, we're going to go ahead and rebook you with Benil Dariush. That does seem to me like we're clearing the lane to keep possibilities open for a Conor McGregor title fight. Yeah. Which, as, you know, from a logical wins leading to better things, losses leading to worse things perspective would make no sense. But that's not going to stop you if you think that it's going to be the big money fight. And the UFC thinks it's a big money fight. Charles Oliveira if, if or, or whoever would end up with a belt would look at that and be like, yeah, you, I mean, you want me to fight that guy who seems like he kind of sucks now, but still would bring me a whole bunch of money when I'm making points on the pay-per-view? Yeah, I will take him 
over uh, Habib's buddy <laughs> any fucking day, man. Like that's that's the no brainer for them financially, and so. I can absolutely foresee a future where we get sold this fight and it's just like they might not even bother trying to come up with a logic to explain it. It might just be like, look, you know what we're doing and we know what we're doing and you're still going to watch it. And everybody will go, "Okay, fine. But I mean, if we were still in the world where we're going, hey, Conor McGregor, go get you a win over somebody, then sure, I could see. Everybody's sort of doing the math on it and going, well, Jorge Masvidal still has a name. You can say you're fighting, you know, a, a bigger guy uh, from a welterweight division standpoint, but also looks like a guy who maybe is not quite as dangerous as he used to be. And we think that maybe you beat him. Like, I, I could see them going with that. But I think at this point, the UFC is probably looking at Conor McGregor and being like, we don't know how many more fights we're going to get out of this guy. Yeah. So... Try to make each one a big one rather than trying to do one to set up the next one. Right. And that's reasonable if that's what you're thinking about that guy. I just think if you throw him out there in a title fight, let's say, against Charles Oliveira and he loses, you are in an even more precarious position with Conor McGregor than you were before. Although maybe at that point, a Jorge Masvidal fight makes sense. Uh, let's You know, if we end up doing this, let's say Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier comes to fruition, because that's been one that everybody's been talking about for a while. Let's say we do end up giving the title shot to Conor McGregor and we were all running around holding our noses. Does that create a matchmaking problem for guys like Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal? Like, what do you do with those guys at this point? Like, you know, as they both have lost to the champ, as we just talked about in round number one, Covington is really good. Like he's probably going to beat a lot of up and coming contenders if you try to feed them to Covington. And at the same time, like he's kind, he's kind of a guy, he's kind of a, of a main event type guy. So I just like, if you are a matchmaker, what do you do with him? What do you do with a guy like that at this point? Yeah. I mean, with Colby Covington, it's especially difficult because he needs at this point, each fight to be one of these sort of bad blood type situations because especially because it's got to be either that or a title fight and we've already seen him lose twice to Kamar Usman gave him some of the most competitive fights but still you're you're 0 2 you're not going to get another one very quickly so he needs to have each one of these fights have some sort of reason behind it some sort of narrative to it and that's why i think that he's immediately targeting Dustin Poirier be like okay there's another guy from the gym a guy who's been saying some stuff about how he wants to find me in the streets let me try to pick on that guy and sort of keep the same thing going and if you can't get that one and I kind of think that he can't, then where do you go? You got to find some new kind of target that pr- still presents you with that same kind of heat, though, if you're Colby Covington. Yeah. And I, he might be running out of those. Does Rafael Dos Anjos belong on this list? Or is he in a different spot? I Maybe I put him on here just because I kind of feel bad for him. Like, Dos Anjos seems like a guy we forget about. A lot of the time, it yeah. obviously doesn't have the the kind of profile or character of a Conor McGregor or a Dustin Poirier in that division. But like again, as he proved against Renato Maicano, is is about as good as it gets. Frankly, at at 155 pounds, like would probably come up short at this point in an actual title fight against a contender. But is still a tough ass motherfucker who has been a lo- around a long time and is going to beat a lot of contenders. Frankly. Yeah, but also doesn't have that same uh, personal, I don't want to say star power, but uh, get the fans interested in him on a personal level. Yeah. They instead think of him as a workmanlike pro's pro 
which he is, um, but not somebody where it seems like just his name alone makes the event something that you got to see. But also like somebody that the people who are looking at fight offers know what he can do. And they don't want to put somebody who might be climbing up the ranks up against him if they don't have to. Uh, because you know that that guy can still come out and beat you. Yeah, and you got got kind of a painful reminder of that on Saturday. Yeah, do you want to uh, have a very tough, low-profile fight against Rafael dos Anjos, or would you rather fight Conor McGregor, whose thing in his last couple fights is kind of in that it seems like he gives up, like when things get hard. Yeah, I mean, if imagine what happened if you put Conor McGregor in there with Rafael dos Anjos, man. Right now, I think that's that'd be a bad night. Remember that was that was going to be the the champ champ shit. Yeah. Remember, remember what an alternate universe that was. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to do it. Let's let's go ahead and do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week, man. I'll just do my just saying stuff because it dovetails with this uh, conversation we've just been having, and that is that at, on Saturday night during the UFC 272 pay per view, Joe Rogan finally said something that I agree with, and that was there aren't enough weight classes. I'm just saying he's right. There aren't enough weight classes. Like I was just talking about Jorge Masvidal, Conor McGregor. Man, you could take both those dudes, all of the water under the bridge that we've had with both of them. They're kind of ugly win-loss records at this point. If you told me tomorrow that Conor McGregor and Jorge Masvidal were fighting in July for the inaugural 165-pound championship of the UFC. You know what I would say? Fuck. Yeah. Give it to me. It's mine. I don't care about anything else. That would be awesome. I'm just saying, if you have that weight class, suddenly it's a whole new world out there, man. It's a whole new world. Just saying, just saying, well, Chad, I'm just saying, did you hear that your boy Drake lost a little bit of money? $275,000. He never wanted to see again. Yep. Big bites. That's a big bite from big, Drake. That's a big bite. Maybe maybe for Drake, that is the equivalent of taking $2.50, throwing it down on a bet. Uh, I believe from what I read, he bet it in Bitcoin. Okay, so that's so it's zero. He bet zero dollars. <laughs> uh, put uh, about a quarter of a million dollars on Jorge Masvidal to beat Colby Covington in Bitcoin did not work out for him. He lost that bet. I'm just saying, even if I were a rich and famous rapper and I was making, you know, big balling sports bets and whatnot, I think I would wait until I won to tell people about them. Hmm. Yeah. Keep that under your head. I don't know if I'd, yeah, I'd just be like, I'd, I'd have the slip ready. For if it if it all panned out and then I look smart and cool and all that and I'd be like oh yeah by the way it's kind of the Anthony Pettis style be like oh yeah I had two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars on that shit and I won and you know what if I didn't win I might just like just quietly tear up my slip and not tell anybody yeah. I'm just saying just saying uh, what shady ass betting place are you having to place this bet that will accept your Bitcoin action because that's like that's five or six steps down the shady path farther than I'm willing to go, right? First, there's the Bitcoin, and then you, you got to find a place where you they will take your Bitcoin bet? Like, what? That's that's too many steps down the shady path for me. It's too shady. All that is too shady. You're just, at that point, opening up a laptop and be like, take my money, 
please find find a way to just take a bunch of my money and just swirl it down the internet toilet. Yeah. Well, I mean, Never maybe, want to see it again. Maybe if you're Drake, you're like, well, shit, I put all of this money into Bitcoin, which clearly I am never going to get back. Uh, maybe I just got to get rid of it before it gets funged, right? I got to get rid of my non-fungible funds before they get funged. I can tell just listening to you that you have a mastery of, <laughs> of how all this stuff works. Is this it's NFT? Is this NFT? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you got it, man. You you totally understand this. The problem is there's so many guys that are good in NFT, and then when they make the actual WWE roster, they just ruin them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's oh, possible we have fun. already stayed too long. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We will be back all week over on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event. Check us out over there for $1, one American dollar. You can get into the live chat on Wednesday. We have fun. We take questions. Uh, it's a great time. And then of course, two other shows this week, capping, capping off with Friday's power hour as we head into this weekend, where, as we said, the one six five returns over on Eagle FC. You know what the UFC's got going? Ben Folks, light heavyweight main event at a fight night event featuring Tiago Santos against Magomed Ankalev. <sighs> okay. That's your main event over there in the UFC. Biggest fight organization in the world. <laughs> As for right now, though, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. You know, I had a uh, uncle who played defensive end in the NFT back yeah. in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, uh, they tried to rival the NFL, right? Because he played, probably played for the Houston Gamblers. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of sideburns out there on the Houston Gamblers. Yeah, so. I was a big NFT fan.